we're recording so I'm going to put that back in there so in theory I think maybe turn it a little bit that your direction in theory we're recording already are we recording we're back well yeah some it's sort of return I think it's, um, it's a return to form is what I'd say yeah. it's only been two years and three months shy of a few days since we did <laughs> one of these things so I'm sure we remember how to do everything um, yeah it took me a while to figure out the basics and it's a different microphone as well this is more port- a, more, a more portable one than the it is more portable than the than one the other currently one. sat in my study still um, so it's, yeah yeah I mean we should probably apologise should we apologise no no okay right in that case sod it we're not apologising yeah no um, we are where are we 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 this hasn't happened for two and a bit years because because you went to canada yes yes fewer people should go to canada <laughs> yeah it's a it's a thing canada is stealing all the people and we're yes. all or everybody's and the canadians are a bit iffy about that concept as well so right oh, uh, well um, the quebec are, are they they tend to be a little bit Let's not go there. They've been, they've been very polite <laughs> while I've been here. So anyway, so yes, we are we are presently on the twenty fourth floor of a hotel overlooking the astonishingly beautiful and really warm city of Montreal in Quebec. Bolga has been living out here for two years. Yeah, I am here because this week was the Electronic Literature Organization's annual conference. Last year they were in Porto. This year they're in Montreal, obviously, and next year they're in Cork. So Cork. They're in Cork. Well, it's a little bit closer to home it's for you, bit, at yeah, least. I mean, it means I might go again. <laughs> yeah, I might, yeah, I can probably swing that without needing a £800,000 research budget. Um, and, yeah, and the other reason that we've not really been doing this is, I mean, the geography aside, I've been a little bit distracted for the last two years. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got a big, pro- big, big project going on. There was a thing. There was a thing, and it was called Ambient Literature, and it pretty much started when we did this last podcast. Mm, pretty um, much. Uh, yeah, sort of uh, one of the last things I did before I headed to Canada was going to the um, opening thing for Ambient Literature. You did. You did in London. Um, and it's not that we could have, couldn't have done this podcast, but I think it would have become about Ambient Lit for the last two years. And so Pretty much. It, I mean, from my perspective, the um, I, I've kind of left the I've switched gears in terms of how I engage with the publishing industry where I used to be working directly as a part of it as part of um, the you know di- digital production in pub- in publishing I'm, I've for the last two years I've basically been kind of working on in the pro- in the process parts of open education which is different yeah but related. It's, I mean, it, but, uh, I was actually I was surprised at how related it is, um, in terms of the output, in terms of the what what what's the end result of it. It's extremely different in every other way. I mean, the, pretty much the only thing that ha- they have in common is the fact that the end result is a book. Yeah. Uh, every every other part of it is just different, and and, um, and I haven't been t- working on the production parts of any of these. Where um, before that was my beat, I've actually been helping putting together um, project management bits uh, and and sites and tools for. Uh, I wonder you look so haggard and grey. <laughs> <laughs> so first thing I first thing I thought when you you walked up to Notre Dame, I thought, God, he looks old. It's only been two years. How old do I look? Wanker. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's uh, good. It's good. Um, I mean, it's it's a very um, it's been a very different sort of challenge, but it kind of puts a lot of the things in publishing in context because we are directly 
competing with publishing. Um, we are like absolutely every project of ours that succeeds, um, given the education market isn't growing that fast, almost always means that there is a traditional publishing project that's failing. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's it's education, um, text, the textbook education is kind of a zero sum game. And best part is that our, 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 our objective is to reduce the size of the entire cake so that traditional publishers can't, can't subsist on it, which is... That's kind of quantum engineering the textbook market. Yeah, mm. it's, I mean, you know... It's a really lousy metaphor. But no, but it, <laughs> ma it makes it really hard for a large international mega corporation to subsist in a market where pretty much everything is low cost or free. Okay, and since um, we, we don't you know. like large mega corporations, except the ones that give us money occasionally, then that's fine. No, I don't like those either. I still oh, take right. their money, but I don't like them. Enough, <laughs> okay. Mm. So, yeah, we've been off doing different things and um, having our... Uh, testing out, out var various ways of doing things that we had no idea of how to do before. So we've, we've learned, we've expanded, we've... That's largely both of us. We've, yeah, we've grown yeah. as people. I think we have grown as people. We're different people than we were two years ago. Very different people. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been... I mean, on the one hand, Ambient Literature was was a two-year HRC-funded, three universities, UE in Bristol, Bath Spa in Birmingham. And I'll get, I'll get on to mentioning everybody's names because they were amazing. Um, it was a big thing. It was a big thing, and it was a big, it was a big ship to sail, in a way. But I think one of the things that was... One of the things that's the most fun about it, I and mean, it's maybe something that we, I'm sure we mentioned this over the run of 11 or however many podcasts we did. Nick Harkaway had this idea that what publishing needed was a kind of black ops team um, <laughs> yeah. that would operate completely outside of the purview of publishing systems, structures, demands, cost centers, the whole thing, and just go in and do stuff. And... I think when ambient literature was was firing on all four cylinders, which it did most of the time, that's what it felt like. It felt like we 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 could talk to the industry, and we had an advisory board drawn from the industry and from different cultural sectors, and so you know there was a dialogue going on there, and we tried to be very very public throughout the entire two years. And I think we were about everything we were mm. doing, not just the the commissions, but the the research process, what we were thinking about, um, allowing kind of developers and, and writers into what we were thinking and what we were working through. But it, it felt like we, we got to be that black ops team a little bit for, <laughs> for two years. And and I think, we, well, as we were talking on the way up here, I think we, we want to carry on doing that. Um, you know, just because we don't have any money at the moment doesn't mean we, did, we stopped doing the interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I mean, one of the things I, uh, I encounter, we encountered, um, basically the place I've been working for for, for the past two years now, or approaching two years, is the Rebus Foundation, which is a, a completely new not-for-profit. And one of the things that we discovered is that even though everybody involved has experience and knowledge and knows how to work, um, do a thing in as part of a different um, organization, we underestimated how much of the work is down to the process. and. Mm you know, when you're starting something completely new, you don't have a process. And that's kind of the, f the first product of um, any new organization that's trying to make products is the organization itself and the sure. processes that it does. Um, you, but mean, you, you, um, you mean kind of a, a level of the way 
before you even get around to making the thing that you want to make, um, the, the how do you construct the, the how you make that? Mm. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Mm. Uh, because um, the, the thing about uh, digital media or websites or um, books is that even though there might be a, a single person who's credited as the primary author, none of these things are actually made by a single person. They're all, and you need some method of deciding, uh, basically a process that takes it from a vague idea and all the way to, all the way to something ready and there are decisions along the way that you have to make at each every each and every turn and and there are there's coordination that needs to happen between various participants that before might come from very different contexts like somebody who comes from a huge mega corporation with um, um, used to working in a context where there are literally hundred a uh, uh, hundred thousand employees mm. versus somebody who comes from context where you know the largest um, um, where a, a business they worked at was had 40 employees sure. mm. and so you these are they're used to t different ways of communication and I'd imagine the same thing with ambient literature is that um, where you can't just buy in wholesale the Adobe production process there really isn't one well, no yeah. I mean, I mean in, in print in publishing you can just yeah. go like um, I've, I'm going to go with the um, you know with uh, uh, Microsoft Word for the editorial process and we're yeah. going to do the standard thing there and we're going to go going to uh, use uh, Adobe for the uh, print production and we've got the set uh, set things and it's almost baked into the software how the yeah. how the process works in terms of the uh, in, t in terms of the um, how it's organized mm. but when you're making something new Can you make and, and also yeah. and I think we, we made our jobs more difficult because when we made I mean three commissions fourth commission um, each one was different each one because so we, we um, it's wrong to say that the back they, they are the, they're the very very public faces of the project there are there were three commissioned and a surprise fourth commission piece of work that we had artists that we trusted, writers that we trusted, working with um, developers um, to make things, to make works that kind of embodied what we were trying to talk about. We had a kind of hands-on, hands-off process with them in that we weren't trying to say, we, we, this is what I mean, the tutorial is, and you must make a piece of work that looks just like this. I think what we were trying to do was draw out the aesthetics of the form yeah. through those conversations. Um, so we started with Duncan Speakman, um, who will be familiar to listeners of this podcast. Um, and Duncan, Duncan felt like a, it's wrong to say a safe pair of hands, but a, ha a pair of hands that would produce something of quality. Um, yeah. That he, yeah. He, he would want to move forward. He wouldn't want to, he wouldn't want to just repeat work he'd made before. There was, there was kind of a setting the bar with Duncan. Mm. And Duncan works in a very different way than we worked with James Attlee, who made the second commission. Yeah. Um, who made a, a piece of work, sorry, Duncan's piece of work is called, um, it must have been dark by then. And it's been running in Montreal this week as part of ELO, and then we'll run it to other places. Um, the next place, I think, Duncan's taking it somewhere in September, and I'm taking it to Cheltenham in October. James made, with Emma Whitaker, a piece called The Cartographer's Confession, which is a very London set piece, a very kind of ambitious yeah. piece of locative ambient literature. Um, and that, that working relationship, because James hadn't done a lot of work in digital before with digital technology. I mean, Duncan obviously comes from a space where he, he, he lives and breathes this stuff. So, you know, yeah. Duncan was about kind of organization, 
and getting things happening and making sure that things were booked and things were done at the right time and tempering his ambition and saying, no, you cannot go to Timbuk Timbuktu. <laughs> <laughs> can't be a Timbuk two. It's a foreign office red zone. That you will get kidnapped. We can't insure you. Um, with James, it was about taking you through the process. It was a much more kind of orthodox. How do you build something in this space? And then Kate Pullinger's Breathe, which was co-produced or produced for us with um, Editions of Play in yep. London and Google Creative Labs in Sydney, was a different thing altogether. You know, that was we had a producer in the shape of Editions of Play who were not part of our team, um, and so they they had things they wanted and there were different tensions and different pressures but I think what we ended up with was a really is a really beautiful haunting little piece of work and then the final commission words we never wrote which was the Hay Festival coming along and saying we'd like a piece of work from you as well as the workshops and the panels was thrown together in four months um I'm not supposed to say thrown together you're supposed to say you know, don't, don't downplay the, the work that was involved. Beautifully composed and constructed. It's a re- no, it's a really, really, really nice thing. I'm really proud of it. But it was compared, it felt that compared, we gave everybody else nine months or so mm. to work. I mean, maybe a little bit less, a little bit longer in some instances. And there was an overlap between, you know, Duncan's and James's and then Kate's. Um, it, felt, it felt like it was a tighter run than, yeah. we, than we'd given, you know, the... The outline for that piece was written three years ago and then sat on a hard drive until Hay asked for a piece. So it, it was made fast, but it's, it's of no, I don't think it's any less quality than the others. It just, it has a different ambition. Well, would you say that um, the experience of having done with the other pieces is part of what made it possible to do that, the final piece so far, so quickly? Um, I think actually it was, it was a guy called Josh Connor. Okay. <laughs> um, no, so with the, I think what, so, okay. Let's talk about production process. Really, what we're talking about. So, in terms, so for it must have been dark by then. Duncan went to three places around the world that are about to undergo massive, or undergoing rather, massive climatic or societal change. Yeah. Um, and those were field trips. That was that was, it was a two or three week journey to the Tunisian Sahara, to the Latvian Russian border, and to Louisiana, and that builds your production time. You know, there's a logistics to get there to. Have Duncan decompress when he comes back before he kind of goes into it. Then there's the there was a kind of writing process as he was out there and starting to compose it. And this is before you start building the app. Yeah. And so that that has a necessarily longer gestation time. Um, Cartographer's confession. I wasn't as closely involved with that was Emma really, but that I know that went that went from being an eight-hour piece down to a four-hour piece, and that that doesn't happen without an awful lot of discussion and development. No, I don't. I don't think it's because we necessarily learned anything I think we instead of instead of using a, a tech a, an app development company we used Calvin for the first two and we had Google Creative Labs for the third I had a third year creative media design student from UWE um, who had a deadline <laughs> and his deadline was pretty much the same as our deadline and um, and so you know we 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 set, I mean, in the same way as we'd worked, as when we were working with Calvium on, certainly it must have been dark by then, Cartographer's Confession 2, we decided what the thing would do. We decided what, you know, what the functionality, what the affordances of that, of that would be, and then the developers went off and made it. And we, it's exactly the same conversation with Josh on Words We Never Wrote, is it will run on low energy Bluetooth beacons, it will, there will be layered audio, it will, you know, there are, there are several things that we know it will do, go and build it, and it was just, I mean, actually, this was a conversation that Duncan and I, I say conversation, it's an argument, that we've been <laughs> had for about two years. You, you can build these at scale, 
and they, that might make them more robust, it might make them last longer. You can also build them with one person who knows how to code in Cordova mm. or in Unity, and you get just as interesting a product, and you're not paying the overheads of a large organization to do that. You know, it's, it's th there are pros and cons to either solution, but yeah, it, it, it was predominantly, it was Josh's ability to work quickly and to do what we wanted that meant yeah. that we could do it in that time. One of the things that, um, I mean, we're uh, basically one of our new projects um, at Rebus is that we're working on um, a deep reading um, app or mm -hmm. experience. Um, and one of the decisions we made that um, is kind of a consequence of starting it now instead of two years ago, as we'd hoped, mm -hmm. is that we're now going to focus, it's going to be entirely web-based. So we're not, uh, sort of at least to begin with, we're not even going to use um, our wrapper like Cordova or, mm -hmm. or any of those things. Um, and that's because the web, both as a development platform, but also as a medium has evolved much more than I expected over the past two years. And I think that's, um, it's strange that it's happening at the same time as we were having the all of these privacy crises and mm. um, and this drive towards um, you know ad blockers and uh, and more a more minimal web experience. Yeah. But it seems like this strange sort of two-headed thing. But um, it strikes me that if you ask these same questions in terms of production and process for ambient literature again in a year's time or two years time you've got to get completely different answers I think you will without a doubt um, and I think that's a problem that's both a problem and a benefit uh, both at the same time it's it's yeah it's so it's also some, something Nick Barreto who's on our advisory board from Canelo Nick was Nick was dogged about you need a library yeah you, you need a library of repeatable things and we resisted it I resisted it all the way through partly because I didn't I didn't think we knew what the repeatable things were until we got to the end. Um, and I'm pretty happy that that, yeah. that, that's, that was the line I took. Um, that we could have diverted money, we could have brought somebody on board to start building you know, repeatable, effectively a kind of GitHub repository of code um, or the equivalent. But it felt that that was prescriptive. It felt that yeah. that was, uh, that the ambient literature faces in two directions. There's on the one hand, and I think I've got to be really careful about this claim that you could see it as a genre of work um, that there is a there's a body of work we've made that admittedly is only sort of five or six pieces. Yeah. Um, um, but that does start to describe, along with other stuff that exists that we didn't do, that wasn't us, that exists outside, but is in. If you, if you imagine Venn diagrams that cross over, that certainly sit in that area, that area, and you yeah, you could describe this as a genre. I think for us, it's been more usefully a lens to see work through. Um, a yeah. way to think about the work we were going to make and the work we're making, a way to think really usefully, critically about some of, for me at least, the grammars of story time, which I know is something I've been going on about for years and years and years <laughs> and years and years. Um, Wasn't it something like that, the title of your um, PhD? Yes, it was. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, what, it, if it's been less what are the repeatable elements for the last two years, what are the things that happen to readers, what are the things that happen within a piece, what are the things that I can, I can see that are common in Duncan's piece, in Kate's piece, in, in words we never wrote, in James's, what are the things that start to emerge out of that that become, 
they become, if you like, design dimensions. Hmm. The things that you can, if, if, if we had to run a, a, a consultancy workshop with a publisher or with a writing group or whatever, you could come in and go, right, you know, if you, you give us a month, we can build something with you. You give us uh, a week, we can get to the point where you've got to pick a prototype. If you give us an hour and a half, we will walk, walk you into the space. But there will be common things about all those three processes. Um, yeah. And they will be, how do, you, how do you think about the experience you want your audience to have? And how do you start to construct that? And what are the things that are in and what are the things that are out? And where, how are you manipulating isn't necessarily a word that is, is the, the most apposite here, but, but really how, how, are you, how are you controlling their attention? How are you guiding them through something? Um, and those are the things I think that we've, that we've drawn out. And, and without, without a doubt, the next, whatever happens next, the next stage has to be we start looking at repeatable libraries, well, repeatable behaviours. Isn't that, that's, the, I, I really respect the point that Nick made, uh, Nick Barita, because one of the, if you want to aim for that dreadful, dreadful phrase, commercial viability, yeah. But it's essential because one of the you can't you can't. I mean, I know there there people argue about this, but in my mind, um, the the only way to keep a and evolve a field or a form over time is for there to be for it to be commercially viable and for the people involved of all to to get paid enough to spend time doing work on it. And one of the biggest um, I mean, I've, we've spoken about this before and other people have spoken about it, but one of the biggest interests towards the commercial viability of um, various forms of interactive storytelling, in, uh, interactive storytelling, especially um, in the context of public in, uh, publishing industry and other media companies, is the cost of working code. Yeah. And that's not just a, a problem specific to, uh, the, uh, to the media companies or publishing. Um, the cost of working code is one of the biggest issue, more a modern economic issue, because modern day software development is fundamentally broken. Now that's a completely different topic, but um, it's a completely. There's the you know, where people uh, there are so often cited statistic that ninety percent of all software projects fail. Yeah, if anything, that's generous. Um, the software industry has is so far from predictable engineering that even fi even high even fine uh, fine arts conceptual arts mm -hmm. even um, literary fiction has a higher project su success rate than software. Software is abysmally unpredictable, okay. um, and so. It, given that fact, uh, anything that involves software, that's going to be the. Uh, uh, on one hand, it's going to be one of the more most complex part to estimate. Yeah. But also because of this overall situation in the software industry, um, software d developers are going to be much more in demand. I mean, it's kind of the weird side effect. The software industry is such an abysmal failure overall. I mean, just in terms of the statistics of project success mm. of how much money is spent on it versus um, um, uh, like the, you, the most projects lose all of the money that, that are spent on them and it's only like the tiny fraction of projects that earn all of the money in the software industry um, but the side effect of, of that 
awful situation is the fact that software developers are in high demand sure. because there's so much money being thrown at this industry that almost all of it goes into a black hole. So that's going to be one of pretty much the hardest uh, sort of uh, sort of in terms of commercial viability. That's what going to be one of the hardest part to tackle. And that how are you going to first of all get the software part repeatable and reliable, and second of all cost effective. I think it does. I mean, and, and, and I mean, the first thing I take from yours is that uh, apparently fine art is, is more um, generally successful than software, which I'm really encouraged by. That's great. That's fantastic. As a fine artist, that's lovely. Um, I think, I mean, on the one hand, I don't know. This is a really, the story is we, we, we suddenly open a kind of world that's really complex. And the first thing, the, the first analogy I want to make is about paying authors. And, yeah. And, and, and the, the, I mean, this is this has traditionally been a broad. This has been a, this podcast has been a broadside to hit the publishing industry with. So please pay your authors properly, <laughs> or find a way to pay them properly because they're yeah. starving. Um, and you and I were talking over lunch about this, so I'm going to quote you. In that, what's happened to an awful lot of writers in the last sort of 20, 30 years is they've diversified out of publishing, yeah. or out of relying on publishing for their income. That they've the writers who are supporting themselves through their writing are doing other stuff as well as the stuff that we recognize as books, as things that we buy or whatever. And I think the reality with regard to digital development is yes, developers developers have positioned themselves as being really expensive and, and that's not a cost you can undercut. Whereas writers apparently, and I mean, this is not to denigrate writers, writers are apparently are willing to work for next to nothing in order to see their name on a book and get it out there. and because that's the flip side of being paid badly is you are, you are apparently willing to work for really mm. nothing in order to do that and I don't quite understand why that might be um, although I think there are reasons but within a digital development field within somewhere that requires um, as you say requires software developers requires coders requires people who can understand this language they they will not be paid nothing and so from a publishing point of view it becomes it it has become difficult to justify doing digital development because you have this big cost built into the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, and al and also because, um, um, and I'm coming back to what Nick Burrito said in that, mm. um, when publishing tends to have done uh, done these projects, they tend to be one-off, uh, with almost nothing that can yeah. be carried on to save money at the second I, th I think any follow-up yeah no, I think, I, I think this, th th this was the this was the, the foundation of Nick's kind of ongoing kind of bringing up of that that you need to think about the repeat development and it's, it worried me because it felt prescriptive <coughs> it only really works I mean it, it's uh, uh, it is a key for, to commercial viability but it also presumes that you have discovered um, and we sort of keep using this that we have settled on the genre conventions yeah. that the market is interested in. And well, well, that's interesting because I was that sentence goes two ways. One that you said, um, the thing that worries me about it is that the is that sentence concludes with you settled on the genre conventions that the form occupies. Yeah, the form is so you you define this is ambient literature and therefore these are repeatable elements and that scares me because I don't think that that feels like you're telling people you can't make interesting work that's op operates at the edges. Um, I think something that the market responds to is a more interesting proposition. Something that you know we 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 end up with a model or let's imagine five ten years from now we're still doing this. I'm still alive. We're doing this. <laughs> Um, that we end up with a model where we are on the edges, on the fringes of stuff, we are making the experimental stuff. We're still pushing the edges, but we found we found something that 
is valuable, that is that is repeatable, that is a if not the form of the book in terms of the codex, but the, the kind of the equivalent of that within this form. Mm. That might be quite modular and quite like a Meccano or Lego set that you build this and build that bit and borrow that bit and borrow that bit and you build something that's recognizably ambient literature or whatever the hell else it becomes. Or just digital storytelling that mm. happens to be lo- location responsive and that uses phones. Um, well, it doesn't use phones because we don't use phones. Yeah, I think that the two levels of that become interesting. It's if there is one monomaniacal, this is what this is, that would worry me. That has always mm. kind of made me a little bit nervous because this, we've, we've made four pieces of work, two experiments and some bits around the edge and that doesn't make a genre. <laughs> no. And also, I mean, uh, one of the, um, there's this tendency, especially in the Anglophone world, that's been an interesting thing to witness because m- the Montreal where, where we're now is not Anglophone. It's, mm. And there, the some of the cultural differences that uh, that I've encountered is that, and also I, rec- uh, I see this when I go back into Iceland is that um, the Anglophone world, cult- the Anglophone cultures um, that we encounter are very market oriented, but they are. It's almost like a performance. They cite like almost like a religious um, catechism. Catechism. Yeah. That's the. Um, where they cite the, you know, that there's demand for this, that um, this is commercially viable, um, but they aren't actually based on market demand mm. or commercial viability when you look at it objectively. Because, um, the, like for example, there's a, clearly a huge, huge demand for literature by, div- uh, by, di- by diverse authors. I mean, it, it, you, don't uh, don't just need to uh, look at uh, publishing and see this, but just look at cinema. Like mm. one of the biggest breakout cinemas, uh, the two most interesting, both commercially interesting and creatively interesting movies over the past two years, Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, mm. uh, and those come out of um, those are showing that there's demand for much more variety than these media companies have been providing, and they've been citing. Mar- the market as mm. a reason not to deliver this and one of the things I've been uh, thinking about over the past well, few years is that I think that there is already a demonstrated market demand for a, a much wider variety of digital media but they're not being provided because of um, I'm not entirely sure but I think it's because on the one hand we have established institutions with their established mm. ideas and they're the ones with the um, production processes and tools and funding to do things and on the other hand the people or individuals who would, or are interested in these things they don't have the resources to make them like for uh, one example which is it's going to sound tacky but I can guarantee you that there is a market for um, um, choose your own path romance novels set, uh, set in the Regency area I can, oh God, no. I can guarantee I, you yeah, that Somebody making making that not uh, like and uh, doing it in a digital specific way, mm. like a, a branching narrative romance yeah. novels, and can guarantee you that with that's a market. I mean, somebody just look can, at you know somebody. Else, I'm not doing that. Somebody else. Can yeah. Do that. Not, there's no way I'm. I'm not touching that with a barge pole. <laughs> but it's more about the sort um, of larger thing uh, of of that. Um, there are so many potential opportunities in digital media that 
just looking at the research, you look at the research, like what are the larger, uh, uh, what what sort of people have a level of curiosity towards mm. new media, um, what what is already what's what is already demonstrating demand in in the various um, cultural fields, mm. and going on from there, that where would be the logical things that that there should be a market for, but there isn't yet, and so ambient literature is kind of um, the first step in one corner of what should be a much mar much larger market, but for some reason that market just isn't there. It isn't, and it's. And I'm, and I'm wonder, I, I keep wondering whether we've been looking at the wrong place for the market to emerge. We've been looking at publishing, and yeah. we've been. <coughs> you, know, you and I have been talking about this, or were two years and three months ago, as publishing being the, not the place for the solution to emerge from, but a place to have. That, that was invested, that skin in the game, that, that, that would, it seemed likely. And I'm wondering Yeah, this is part of, this is part of, of uh, if they want um, a future as a growing industry rather than as a stagnant industry. You would this, think, yeah. yeah, but equally, I think from a publishing point of view, and I, I can't speak for publishers in this regard, but th there could be an argument that says they, they have survived the sudden digital revolution that came and was predicted, and and they're still there, and they're still selling books, and yes, the, the, the long-term trend appears to be towards stagnation, but it's a really long-term trend. They're, they're going to be around for a while yet, and it becomes an almost generational thing. They're gonna be the, the current CEO is going to be around and see out his term, and it becomes a kind of, you know, it's, it's, you, your metaphor is climate change, and it's not about you, it's about your children, your grandchildren. Um, yeah. but, the, but you're right, the action to take is now. But yeah, it, I do wonder, given the kind of the, the glacial rate of doing anything in publishing, whether publishing is the right place to look for it, I feel slightly guilty as well. Why? I f well, I wonder... Is it all your fault? No. <laughs> we were... This is something that somebody else in the advisory board, and I shan't name them, but he knows who he is, um, said to me that we'd... That, at the start of it and at the end of it, we had the same conversation, you know, book-ended, that you're the only people doing the interesting stuff for the next two years. And at the end, you're the people done the interesting stuff for the next two years, and <laughs> we've all looked at you. And I feel a little bit guilty, like, what, did we, did we let you off the hook? Yeah. Did we let, did everybody, not everybody, not everybody looking at us, God no, but was there that sense that, no, that the, there is some interesting research and development work being done here, and it's related to publishing because we have an advisory board drawn from publishing. Therefore, that lets you off the hook. Therefore, you can look at us and go, we're associated with that, we can move forward with that, we will have conversations as this finishes, and we will see. And it, yeah, it just, there's a niggling worry in the back of my head that that was really flattering at the start to be told that. And it was kind of flattering at the end. And the, but yeah, but the flip side is there may be another way of reading that. Mm. Um, because I mean, it, you know, nothing has changed in two years I mean, in the industry. One of the things that um, strike up. Uh, I've been thinking that, um, I mean, you, you embed literature and your projects and a lot of the um, research projects that exist or in this arena that come from this cross-section of publishing yeah. and arts and media, they tend to be focused on fringes, on expanding um, the existing media, trying out new things mm -hmm. that have been tried before. And I'm wondering whether the there's this, uh, because there's a level of, I mean, dare I say it's snobbery within the publishing industry that tends to focus on the avant-garde and the edges and the <coughs> uh, they tend to fo uh, they tend to view uh, if you're experimenting it should be like literary fiction should be on the edges and should be pushing mm. boundaries and I'm wondering whether we'll that territory yeah yeah um, but I'm I'm wondering whether 
that isn't whether that is for the work that the publishing publishers themselves. I'm not talking about ambient literature, mm. which is, you know, that's the role of ambient literature is to push the boundaries and discover new things. Yeah. But it strikes me that what publishers should have been doing while you were doing that over the past two years was go for something establishing a more mainstream digital medium. They they should have been doing something that sounds tacky, like choose your own narrative in an X genre. Yeah. Um, um, something that's that's uh, has a predictable audience that you can that you can work with and they engage with. It feels like they should have been doing something. It feels like. We, you know, literally, we, I, I'm, you know, two years and three months is the last time since we sat in this, and it's like we're having the same conversation. Yeah, yeah no, you it's, know, it's, yeah. Huge amounts of change in our lives, huge amounts of change in the work we've done and the work we're doing, but with regard to the, the broader field, the bit that we kind of have a, a fondness for or an association with, actually nothing has changed. And it's not because we haven't been trying to have those conversations. Um, you know, we've, we, within ambient literature, we, we, we almost worked with a publisher on a project, but we that was public funding, and we didn't get it. There was some, um, we've been talking to other publishers about projects that move forward, but it, yeah, you're right. It feels like I don't know. The, if if you want to extend the black ops metaphor a bit further, then black ops units. No, this metaphor is not dying in class. Um, but you, but you could have talked to us at any point in the last two years. You know, yeah. talk to us because we know we do understand this stuff and we know what we're doing and there are lots of really smart people out there actually I know that's one thing we did do on one of the previous podcasts was talk about React and talk about the a model for making innovation happen yeah, in yeah. different industries and it yeah. does feel like it's been 27 months since we last did one of those these rather and nothing has changed nothing has really fundamentally changed it's the same conversation it's the same state of play the world has moved on there's an idiot in charge of the White House um, <laughs> God Brexit has yeah, we just did one of these before the vote. Yeah, yeah. yeah you think if we carry on doing them, we would have voted to remain. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we did it. Oh God, no, I'm going to um, be guilty now. Sorry, I'll get back on track. No, it's um, what it's uh, sort of another contrast that because of the time sp uh, time spent and that the, well, uh, an obvious contrast is uh, you look at the Kindle and um, very little has changed there in terms of the what yeah. the Kindle is capable of doing. And the devices have gone more higher end, which is um, understandable. Uh, that's a clear sign of maturity, where because they know they're not going to replace the book, they're yeah. going to squeeze more money out of the expert readers that are gravitated towards the Kindle platform. And the same yeah. thing really happened to Kobo and to mm. the um, um, other uh, platforms in that they, they change, there have been very, very few changes. Um, the same thing just in publishing in general. But on at the same time, um, I wouldn't even know where to start in trying to talk about the changes that have taken place in the on the web since then. We've had basically a revolution in terms of um, res resistance by the public against um, privacy invasive yep. tracking. We have uh, GDPR legislation coming out of Europe completely transforming uh, a lot of the businesses. We have um, a, a huge, huge additions to the web platform in terms of creating layout in terms of creating uh, app experiences we're mm. on the web um, and so it feels like um, that it feels like that arena to me I mean my, mm. uh, my, my personal experience now is that um, just bet on the web that's yeah. because that's going to be 
it's going to be more interesting even when it does horrible things like the the privacy invasive things it's large enough and dynamic enough that there will be a response to that that will um, have to uh, have, uh, have an effect and it's just more things are happening there and there's more uh, uh, there's more possible more, more possibilities in on the web in terms of uh, the web as a medium yeah. than ebooks or you know print books or even apps these days i'd say that the web is give it another few months but the web is definitely going to be uh, i'd say that if you wanted to do a creative project in a year's time um my suggestion at that time would be definitely start with the web because it's just going to be way more interesting in what you're able to do and of course i mean things places things like unity like platforms and unity they're now they now uh, let you deploy directly to the web because yeah. the web has expanded to include with uh, WebGL and um, uh, what's it? Yeah, and um, the you're doing a uh, web assembly. Yeah. Um, and the web has, uh, has expanded to encompass things like Unity and others. Whereas you can't say the same thing about the other me uh, other media. They haven't expanded to encompass an entire new genre on it, uh, or, or, or in the space of two years. They've just basically stayed the same. They have, pretty so, much. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. But I don't know either. Um, can we take a break for a moment? Only because I'm yeah. a coughing fit. I've, I've picked up a head cold while I've been in Montreal, which is completely counter to a really lovely summer. Um, we'll be back in two minutes. Or so. Or whenever. Okay. Yes. And, and we're back. Um, we've taken a break and we're refreshed. Um, I suppose what I want to talk about next... And this feels like this. This doesn't mean this is the last one we're going to do these for a while. In fact, I think we should try and find a way of carrying on doing them on a transatlantic um, <laughs> thing basis, which is what we said we were going to do at the start. But can we talk about value a little bit? Mm. And because we, so one of the things that happened with regard to ambient literature is we were committed to giving to making all the um, projects available for free. And we did because we were publicly funded. We HRC funded. That was a, it, it, it. was a condition largely of our of our funding model. So of them, it must have been dark by then. Has a kind of price point in that if you the app is free, but if you want the book, you have to pay for the book. So we run it at festivals and you run it for free. But there is a kind of pricing model in there. That's a little bit of a grey area. Um, obviously, Cartographer's Confession, Breather free, Words We Never Wrote was free. Um, the experimental stuff was free. And I think one of, well, no, one of the things that happened in our last advisory board meeting was someone who is very, very smart um, really hammered home the point that whatever we do next, um, whatever we pivot to, whatever we kind of do out of here, there needs to be a price attached to it. Mm. Um, and her point was that if you don't do that, then you've lost the price argument forever. And I think, I'm not sure I quite want to believe we lost, we lost it forever, but I think that's a really pertinent thing because we had... We kind of had a cushion for two years um, that we could do stuff that we didn't have to worry about what it would cost from what yeah. it would cost an audience, um, and that wasn't. We asked the question a lot in audience feedback. You know, how much would you pay for this? And we got varied answers because you know there's no, there isn't a right answer. Um, but I think some kind of discussion, especially because we're now, I mean, we were two years ago, but we're now in a landscape where Spotify, Netflix, subscription services. And subscription services in apps as well, which I think wasn't the case two years ago. Um, I mean, not to nearly the same degree. 
Not the same degree. I mean, yes, it was there for Adobe and it was there for the big platforms, but I'm now subscribing to two or three apps on my phone because I'm happy to pay 16 mm. quid a year or whatever it might be for something that is delivering something of considerable value. There was a shift, um, um, I think, a, well, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it happened uh, somewhere over the past two years where Apple officially allowed apps to use that subscription model for, right. for the apps, um, but using Apple... The Apple payment system. Yeah. Mm. Whereas before, it, like with Adobe or Microsoft, if you want to do how you run a subscription model, you had to run your own payment system you on your own. So, yes, yeah, suddenly Apple will allow you into their payment system that you're through the gate and you can use theirs, which is way simpler. Mm. Yeah, it makes, yeah. It makes that con conceptually much easier. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, I'm just thinking that um, uh, uh, because the value proposition of a book has not really changed that much over oh. the years. I mean, we're still, um, you know, we're not, uh, there haven't been any revolutionary changes, whereas um, the, the on a digital side, things have gotten actually more complicated, like you say. Yeah. We, we've gone from a, a world where everything was um, like, n not that long ago, all software that you had had a price and yep. you bought it from somewhere usually through a store to a world where it's now a complex, a complex mix of various business models some of them are ad based some of them are are just free some of them are like equivalent to the old shareware where you use it but you have to pay to unlock certain, to unlock features. certain features of it yeah. um, some of them are subscription and even in the on the, uh, in the, on the digital publishing side and ebooks you have a wide range of uh, in some genres that seem to be able to at least I'm not sure whether it's say sustain but at least charge print level pricings pricing without collapsing yeah. and that's you know definitely a, a certain accomplishment um, to others where that are barely able to charge a uh, charge prices that are over five dollars no matter what the context is yeah. mm. um, so there's a huge range of business models on the digital side and also just a huge range of um, um, value estimations by the end user now, um, there's a reason why most phone apps cost less than a good cup of coffee and that's because to the end user it is literally less valuable and contributes less to their life than sure, a good, than cup, than of good cup of coffee. Do you, you think there's also an impulse buy thing on that as well? The paying two ninety nine for an app is because because we've had this there's a there's been a rhetoric around the price of a cup of coffee and the price of an app for quite a while. Um, yeah. And whether this is just something I'm guilty of, but I will I will happily click if the kids want something, um, and it's yeah. two ninety nine for the unlocked version because I really I think they shouldn't be bombarded with adverts on games um, when they're five and seven years old. I think that's that's but, I think that is a growing thing. I mean that that I think that it goes hand in hand with the um, growth of ad blocking in that mm. a lot. Of, I don't think the advertising industry or digital media industries um, appreciate it just to what extent um, an awareness of uh, and a resistance against advertising as a business model um, is a thing among mm. consumers. And I, I think they've completely missed the mark on, on that, especially in terms of assessing that, responding to that um, in, in businesses, except... Like like you say, um, the same. Uh, you know, with with loads of apps that I use, if if it's um, cheap enough to do an impulse buy and it gets rid of ads, 
Yeah. I'm, mm. I'm very likely to actually do that. But even though we're a minority, that's still, or given knowing the average revenue people get from ads, they the scale of how many ad, ad viewers they need to get versus a single person who pays them is for most apps that aren't global worldwide successes mm. the people who pay are going to be the core business the question is yeah. is that going to be a big enough group considering the cost of making these things and that's the big question that it's people a huge have question i mean one, one of the associated and this is just anecdotally on the back of that i don't know you because you're out in montreal now whether you've read because the, the guardian the guardian for about the last year and a half and the guardian's business model is fairly a mess mm. which is a real shame because it's the guardian um but the guardian's began what's essentially a kind of subscription service online that yeah. you would pay five pound a month and they would you wouldn't see ads um within the content you still see some ads on the site but the ads mm. wouldn't be within the content and that has i think i need to check the figure and i might check it while we're talking but that's had a massive impact on the revenues in trying starting to turn the guardian around back to profitability from yeah. being yeah. losing so yeah there, I think there is there is an appetite and i still have great pleasure in every time i go to the telegraph's website um, one realizing I can't read any of it, which is great, um, and also the little we notice you're ad blocking. Yeah, I notice I'm ad blocking too because you're the Telegraph. <laughs> Aside from the general principle, I don't. I mean, the bigger question about how, because what, what we're starting to talk about is a kind of Patreon model for software development, or yeah. for, or for dig, let's not let's not be as broad as software, but for digital stuff development, yeah. things we're interested in making. Um, That's um, um, for uh, niche games. Mm. You wouldn't believe how big Patron has become for yeah. for them. Much bigger mm. than Kickstarter because uh, the thing with um, on like um, almost all development projects is that they tend to be ongoing. Yeah. And just go through the Patreon website and look at the games game section, and it's it's actually massive and it's right. wide ranging and it's it's weird and it's all full and of ma you know experiments. The, completely, but the bottom line is about trust. It's about an audience trusting yeah. um, a developer or a developer organization. And and I'm just, because partly one of, my, one of the things I'm thinking about, because we, are, we have, you know, we, we talked about it being two years and ambient literature and a whole set of things, but we've, our funding period has ended. We have follow-on opportunities and there are things we want to do, um, which I might talk about in a minute or two. Um, but we now have to start thinking about what this looks like going forward. Mm. Um, because we don't, we don't have the revenue stream that we have for the last two years which says we can make stuff and think we have to kind of be opportunistic and we have to look for opportunities and try to find things and I'm really starting to think about what are the what are the things that we have to offer and we have on the one hand we have either four or six depending on how you describe them pieces of real really high quality work that we've made we have two years of incredibly deep thinking by seven or eight kind of academic practitioners mm -hmm. and the writers and the stuff around that and we bring that to it. We have an expertise in what we do. And I'm just wondering whether we're at the point where, I'm not suggesting we could Patreon ambient lit, but whether there is a, whether we start to look at that kind of model of saying, you know, we will put out four things a year, three things a year, whatever, whatever we think is feasible. Mm -hmm. And we start to see if there is appetite in the marketplace for organizations or individuals or whatever to, f to fund that kind of development to, to be okay to come back to my Nick Harkaway black ops thing to fund the black ops lab mm, yeah. to fund the thing that says okay we will do stuff and we will work with you and you'll get a discount rate I don't know I'm, I'm thinking completely at the top of my head here but it, it strikes me that we have to start taking this next bit seriously mm. um, 
And coming back to the conversation we had before the break, we have breaks now, um, it's clearly not happened in conventional publishing. No. Um, and it's not, I know there are things happening. I know, there are the, I, I know from conversations that people are doing semi, no, they're doing interesting stuff with projects, but mm. not at scale, and certainly not, as you say, not at the point where they're really trying to exploit something that, that whether it's Regency, Tudor and Adventures, God help me. Um, but there's something that feels like they could do and this is a okay anecdotally this is a this is a, a thing that happened when we made these pages fall like ash um so that was five years ago and we we sold the thing we sold the mm. books and we we charged a price a ticket price what we did before that was we put a a blog post out and we tweeted it in the studio retweeted it in the react hub retweeted it and we asked for we asked kind of people who were following the project because we were really public what would you pay and we described it several different ways. We talked about it as, you know, this is a book that will run over two weeks. It's an inter interdependent digital physical project. It's a piece of participatory theatre. Yeah. And we got different answers depending on who read which bit and how they responded. Um, and the book model was the one we actually went, ended up going for. What was really interesting was the people who responded, and they weren't, it wasn't like thousands of people, but there were enough people who responded and went, as a piece of theatre, as what you're describing as a piece of theatre that I can own and maybe redo if you do that with it, I would pay 50 quid. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that that's the price that we should have costed it at, or that's what we do. But it feels like there's an audience out there for interesting stuff. Um, I am, one of the things that was really lovely about the audience kind of work for ambient literature was the, uh, the, the there's, a, there's a punch drunk admiration punch drunk lovers group on Facebook um, that's run by someone of called all the things that can exist <laughs> but the punch drunk are great they just yeah but it's it's not run but one, one of the one of the, the the visible voices in there is an amazing person called Zoe Margolis and Zoe's listening hello Zoe and Zoe did this we I knew that it, I knew they existed, and I put a thing out saying we're going to run this piece of work in London, and it's going to be on these dates. And they turned up. Oh, cool. They turned up in reasonable numbers, such that you know, I mean, that it must have been dark, but then I had a couple of hundred people do it in London for a British Library run. But the the level of interest from that group was really noticeable, and and the extent to which I've I've kind of communicated with them occasionally because they 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 also they look for recommendations for things and I'll recommend bits that I've seen or heard of that are kind of broadly immersive theatre but not punch drunk because that's, mm -hmm. that's their thing they want something more than just punch drunk yeah. um, and they're hungry for stuff people are hungry I think there is an audience out there who are hungry for as you said interesting experiences interesting use of digital technology I think part of the thing is how do we how, coming back to value how do we pivot that around this is something that you might be able to own that it's yeah. not just something you have to pay a ticket for, but it has the cachet of being an immersive performance or a theatrical performance or something mm. that is more than just a book, because they are the things that we're talking about are more than just a a, a, a codex. Yeah, they're more than just that thing, and that to me, either we lock the price point in at the twelve ninety nine for a hardback or whatever the equivalent might be and we re we run that risk of the app store won't bear it because the audience won't bear it because they're used to paying the price of a cup of coffee or we think really seriously about how we fund these things and we and we decide to ignore the app store pricing model and we look at some other way of doing it and I am increasingly thinking that a kind of Patreon subscription yeah, um, might be the answer but I'm not sure how you I'm not sure how we go about it mm. yeah especially since 
you know, it's a bit of a unexplored territory. But it's, um, I don't know, uh, uh, the thing you mentioned there about um, something being performative, but mm. also something you own. And um, I kept thinking about um, uh, art, uh, museum art books or gallery art yeah. books, where that's uh, um, books that are essentially only sold at the gallery or the museum yeah. for a specific show. But you although, go there. Although, although they're not, they're also yeah. sold on. Yeah. But, but, but yes, but um, I, there are actually in a lot of cases, especially with single single artist um, yeah. shows um, at smaller venues, those no, artists tend, to, tend not to be sold yeah. anywhere else. And you go there, you buy the buy the book, and you see the experience. And the book is not just a book; it's not mm. just the book of 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 that book, but it's also um, because you bought it at that place. It's a part of that larger experience, yep. um, and. You know that that seems like a similar thing, except it's more overt, obviously, in in your your case, because those two are completely intertwined. Yeah, mm. they cannot exist without each other. And that's you know, that's that's specifically after the pre- the project we've made that have a physical element in them. Yeah, um, yeah I'm yeah. thinking. I, mean, I guess I'm looking more broadly. And one of the things that um, is true that yes, we do. There is a kind of there's a sales model within. It must have been dark by then. But let's be frank about it. The sales model for it must have been dark by then. Pays for the next print of the books. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it 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 doesn't and could never at the moment cover. Actually, it might be able to cover the re if you, if we re- remade the app in Unity. But it it wasn't designed to do that. Um, although that's not to say you can't build something like that. Now I mean I mean I'm I'm kind of addressing this in the big broader sense. Yeah. How how do you make how do you make the experimental stuff sustainable? So if you, if you have kind of a... Um, Especially because experimental costs are ongoing. They're, they're, digital experimentation is not yeah. like print. Uh, like you can't do just a print run. It's an ongoing process of, of investment, of trying things, of testing it's things. Trying, it's putting things out in the world. Yeah. It's making good art. It's it's going, okay, these might not always be to everybody's taste. It might not be to your cup of tea, but we're going to go on doing it. And, and for me, it feels like whatever we do going forward, I mean, that's we, not, mm. not the industry, um, is I want to do the, the, the kind of high-level commission stuff, the stuff that's the big shiny things that, yeah. feel that, that are the, it must have been dark by then, that are breathe, that are whatever. You find a way to do those because they are, they're beautiful and they're refined and they're elegant, but the, the little stuff on the edge, the stuff that you, you do that has the ambition of that, but you know is going to be made quicker or is going to be made with... A, with a Josh Connor, with a developer, with someone working in Unity or Cordova and building the thing for you, that feels like that. To take that seriously, we can't. We can't as a, we can't as a research organisation, and we can't as I think generally as people developing, we can't take people for granted. We got to. This is back to paying the authors. You've got to pay people properly mm. to do this stuff, and I think we've we've done enough now that says we we should we should be in a position to start pivoting forward and saying, how do we construct a model that says we can make two or three of these things a year and we can bring someone on for a month and a half to build the thing or whatever that might cost. We can pay the writers to do it. And and part of that is that we get product out there. We have things in people's hands and we start building We start building the canon. So and that sort of kind of brings to the next obvious question is what's preventing ambient literature from using Patreon, maybe not tomorrow, but like, Nothing. Say this autumn. Uh, this autumn. Oh, of uh, ambient literature page. What's, what's, uh, what would that change in terms of ambient literature? Well, okay. You know, let's. We could could you actually do it? We could. We we could completely do it. I need but to would, get... would that change what you are? No. Well, 
I think you'd, you, you'd look at it in several different ways. And I'm completely thinking off the top of my head because suddenly this conversation has become real in the last three hours. <laughs> um, I'm going, God, we could do that. I think one of, the, one of the problems is there is a, not problems, there is, a, there is an offer of what you do. So yeah. if, someone is, if someone is going to give you 30 quid a month or whatever that you set that as, you have to be able to deliver stuff for that. Mm. So, yeah. yes, my ambition would be that we can do, you know, we can go on working. And, and one of the things I do want to do is work with different, with, you touched on diversity earlier, I don't want to work with diverse voices. We were horribly white middle class as a research project because that's what research projects are some of the time. And I want to work with different writers, with different audiences, with, from different backgrounds to see what they make with this kind of thing. Um, but I think if you're asking someone, if, if the offer is that, yeah, you, you pay us 30 quid a month or 20 quid a month and you will get three or four of these experiences a year, we have to be at scale enough that we can do that. Yeah. And that isn't going to happen with 15 people. That happens, you know, on back of, back of the fact package sums, it happens with 200 people or with whatever, whatever audience is enough to do that. Yeah. Um, or we do corporate sponsorship and we, we ask our friends in publishing very nicely you know, <laughs> you're not doing any R&D, pay us to do R&D because we're really good at it mm-hmm. uh, it gives them also the plausible deniability they can always say, like, oh look, we're, we're paying those to do we're, R&D, we're, we don't we're, have to do it ourselves we're, we're, <laughs> we're, and, yeah, and, and, and you can have your logo and everything we make in it. We, I think it's feasible, it's possible to do it it's not everything that I want to do with it though You know, there are, yeah. there are other things I want to do with Ambient Lit there are that really build on the thing that we touched on earlier about kind of design dimensions that we call the toolkit throughout everything mm. that is the intellectual bit the the creative um, framework that you use that you start thinking of that all these things become intertwined but yeah I, I mean, this this bit of the conversation came out of the value um, yeah. question that we got asked at the last ambient, at the last board meeting because it's been on my mind as I don't think I'm not sure there's a model where we can charge nine ninety nine for an app. I don't think it's uh, uh, you can think, barely um, get there even with um, productivity after that. Yes, it's literally being used in the course of a business that pays more than that. Absolutely, I think it's I think very. It's, it's a very tough. To my mind, yeah. that model doesn't work. Um, not for what we're doing, at least. Um, I think there is a model where we build something that feels like it must have been dark and it has a physical element, that we can look at what the physical element is and we might, there is a way to think about how you construct that so that either it's got upfront money that that pays it back, but there, there is a sale item that recoups some of your cost Yeah, completely. Um, I'm not sure the, the kind of subscribe to a chapter model works for this. It, it seems to me to prescribe it. This is a conversation that Josh and I had on the way to pay to take um, words we never wrote down and thinking about that kind of um, the model by which you know a chapter of a game is released mm. every so often and you pay per I think that and that might work for some pieces of work um, yeah. I'm not I think it prescribes the form a little bit too much in what this is but if that's I mean you might run into a situation where if that's the most viable business model then that kind of which, ends up being the forum which is kind of, yeah which is kind of back to my thing about the, the Nick's thing about a code library or a business forum um, yeah. and yeah I'm just, I, think, I just think at the moment that feels too early that we've not made we've not seen enough work made in this space yeah. to, to be to, to almost to go after that market to go after that thing and say right we're going after the chapter form because the chapter form also feels like I mean we made it must have been dark by then five years ago yeah, and it must have been dark by then is without a doubt a chapter form structure you know it has there are five okay, there are five fragment or bits of story in each chapter there are three chapters we release the chapters over a period of two weeks and a bit that's a chapter form story um, 
Yeah. I'd like to think we can do different stuff. <laughs> I like to think you know, that the four. I, I know I'm not. I'm not damning because I think we, we will do things like that again, and we'll put we must some, we'll put um, these pages for like Ash out at some point in the next twelve months as a thing. Um, but yeah, I just think it. The chapter form for me runs the risk of then becoming choose your own adventure. So that's the only thing we did with that. That was the only thing that was ever successful, and that's yeah. what that becomes. And I just think there is space for other things. There is space for really experimental stuff. And I'm really, yeah, I'm, my bottom line is I'm interested in how do you fund that experimental stuff without constantly relying on injections of cash from a research council or from the arts council, you know, all of which are really helpful. Yeah. But that, you, we, so one of the th things that happened toward the end of the project is we had a conversation about what a lab might look like. And we costed out a lab a fairly large amount of money. Um, and just kind of what that would sustain and what that would produce. And, and the idea is that would become a self-sustaining thing. And that was that was always the aim of that. that over, over your two or three years, you end up with a model that you could carry on without the injection of lab yeah. funding at the start. Yeah. Um, and for me, that does have the... You, start, you solve the price problem during those two or three years as well. Or you solve something about that. I mean, it, it, it's, actually, it's actually not dissimilar from the long-term plan for the Reapers Foundation where I'm working in that we're um, funded by um, the Hewlett Foundation and the Mellon Foundation mm -hmm. at the moment but the long-term goal is to um, basically make sure that we're not dependent on those that, yeah. that funding anymore and that means that the we need to use the funding that we're getting them to figure out uh, a sustainable yep. sustainability model not I mean we're not for profit so business model might be stretching it because we're only really interested in, in breaking you, even yeah but, but, but breaking some, even means you've got to survive yeah you? and uh, so but you know then we need to develop some sort of business um, and um, that's kind of the role of the grants is to uh, is to first of all help us make new things but also make help us trying to keep making those new things in a sustainable way and I'm wondering whether um, that you kind of didn't get the space to do that within the within the funding period that you've just um, finished in in ambient literature. You so you're uh, so the question is, can you dive directly into that uh, from you know the having done these um, four projects? Can you dive directly into the whole business development aspect of it? I think it's a question. The answer is we probably can. Um, I think the larger question, the larger answer is it's something we should try, we, we, we have to deal with. Mm. That we, we can't wait for three, we, you know, whatever we do, whatever we move toward doing next, I don't think we can wait for three years to yeah. figure out what our, it might take three years to find out what the model is, to find out how that actually works, but I think we've got to start thinking about what that looks like and how that system of, whether it's patronage, whether it's a kind of combination of private and public funding, of how that actually works. because. We've got to keep, I mean, the other thing we've got to keep doing, and everything we did over the last two years, is keep moving forward, keep moving the field forward, and keep moving, yeah. moving ideas forward, and keep allowing new voices in, and not, you know, one, the thing that, it doesn't scare me, because I'm not scared easily, um, <laughs> is what I don't want is for this to sit still. Yeah. It's just something yeah. we've got the end of a project, and now we know how to do this now, and that's it, and that's, because we don't. We know how to do a lot of it. We know much more than we did two years ago about how this stuff operates about how you design for this space. We know a bit more how you technically develop for this space, but that's, as I've said, that is something that has to happen in a kind of more repeatable, more um, modular fashion. Yeah. And we've got to find out what those, but, we, but again, you don't find out what those things are until you make a lot more work. 
and you make a lot to make a lot more work you need a system or a model that kind of allows you to fund it um, and that for me is the challenge over the, certainly the next 12 months is figure out what that looks like what that is because we can do it you know, we've got a body we've got a kind of work that we've made we've got a, then they they everywhere they sorry, there's a song there somewhere every time we've shown this stuff um, we we've got we've got emails from academics, from practitioners, from people who are really moved by it. Must have been dark by them, but people the the, the guest book for which we never wrote Hay was delightful. Um, of people's responses, Breathe got attention because Across Confession won the New Media Writing Prize last year and was shortlisted for another one um, this year. You know these things have quality. Yeah, it's I think, and we have. The, the accumulated knowledge, aside, I'm not even mentioning writing the textbook, with accumulated knowledge of a two-year research project to apply to this stuff, I think it, it, we have a responsibility to move it forward. Yeah. To keep moving it forward and to, and to do that. Especially because, as we said, the our, our friends, and they are our friends in industry, in publishing, appear not to be doing an awful lot of that moving forward at the moment. Mm. But also, um, I mean, in their defence, um, I'm not sure that even though the people who work in the industry are willing... Um, they're just uh, this. If you, uh, from the perspective of the people who own these companies and are up at the top end, this is not a growth industry. It's not, and that no. requires different strategies and tactics yeah. in terms of how you run these companies than, um, say, if you're managing a tech company. So mm. there's, it was never going to be likely that they were um, going to be doing the uh, investing in in new things and. It was likely twenty, likely or twenty years ago when the, you know this could have looked uh, like a, a more plausibly at like a growth industry. Yeah, um, it was could might even have, have been a possibility of sort of around just before or around the first appearance of the Kindle, mm. um, and more uh, and even there you could have a plausible argument that with the when the iPad appeared that yay now there's a platform for this but that never panned out because. The iPad is just a another computer that's not really, yeah, it's a longer, much longer. The, the sort of whole, the whole promise um, um, and failure of the tablet as a medium is a is a huge topic. That's a, you can't cover. It, it, that, that's an entirely separate. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll divert on. But no, you're right. I mean, just but um, it all comes down to money or popularity. It does come down to money and popularity, and you're right. I think we we will for the time being we're niche on the edge of an industry, and I think we just need to find a way of supporting that um, and carrying on doing it because because it's been fun. <laughs> well, it's kind of the big, the big it's reason to do the these point things. Of doing it, it's been fun. But it's the same thing with. Um, um, I mean, one of the differences that um, I encountered now, <coughs> now being mostly in, of now being mostly in open open education. Is that there is a much stronger impetus or, or force behind it because there is a, it's become a complete uh, or sort of or a counter movement to the industrialization and, and markets, mm. um, the, the turning education into into a market where that did not used to be the case. I mean, it's it's a fairly recent change to, uh, to the extent to which, uh, especially higher education, mm. has been turned into the, like this open market or essentially ruled by private companies. Um, so the, uh, the open education movement is a response to that and it has a, it feels like, um, a, uh, it does not feel like a niche thing. It feels like a larger movement that we're just, caught on it. it rather than being an, a, a, a niche thing it, we, it feels like 
we as a as a foundation are an are uh, caught on the edges of a larger thing and being yep. swept up into it, uh, in it, which is exciting, but it's also sort of at times a little bit overwhelming because there's so much going on. Um, but it's um, it kind of comes down to the same thing though, is that you need you can't just do everything the way everybody's done it so far. You need to tr try and pick out pick out new ways of doing things. If this is properly and new, new forms, yeah, if this is properly new, and we relate it as being new, then yeah, we have to we have to challenge ourselves a little bit and try and find things. Yeah, you're right. Things that haven't been done, ways of funding it that haven't been done before, and yeah, the form, the content, the everything. Is it a big bit bit of a big question? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we'll leave it there. Yeah, I think we've uh, ended up on a bunch of questions we, we won't be able to answer in Not the next quite, like, yeah. 30 years. No, but I think we should do this again. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Okay, right, okay, well, if you were listening, if any of you ever still subscribe, and know just how your subscriptions work, but they just de disappear and vanish, then thank you for listening. <laughs> um, we will do this again. We will try and be a little less tardy than two years and three months yeah I think one episode every two every two years is probably no. not you know it's not quite how you build an audience no not really <laughs> no okay I'm going to go look at Patreon then <laughs> right fantastic